0: Bye.
1: Mountain? How's everybody doing? Good. You all look refreshed because you had an extra hour of sleep because you look amazing. You look amazing. Uh, Hey, welcome. Can we just say welcome to everyone? We like to do that at all of our campuses. We have four campuses. We're one church that meets together. Can we just say welcome to everybody from all the campuses, wherever you are? Glad you're with us. If you're a guest, super glad you're here with us uh, this weekend, and uh, if you're online, that's great too. Hey, still a lot of really exciting buzz in the air about the new campus, which is going to be launched in Aberdeen, and uh, in fact, we met this week with the Aberdeen City Council Super warm and excited to receive us and a great write-up in the Baltimore Sun, actually, which I posted on social if you want to see that. It's kind of a great, great way to explain to somebody what we're trying to do and why. Yeah, check that out if you want to. And uh, can I just encourage us to uh, be praying about this? Will you find a way to regularly pray about what God will do through this campus and the epicenter um, Just find a way to do that, uh, that God will be at work already in lives and in the community and the building process and all that stuff, okay? And in fact, how would you like an opportunity to swing by the campus and see it? You can. Glad you asked. Next Saturday, uh, we're just going to have a brief open house just to swing by, and you can pray in the space, grab a magic marker right on the floors or the walls because it's all kind of torn up right now, and you can write a prayer or a scripture or the name of somebody that that maybe you hope God would touch in their life, and, um, and then at about 10.30, we'll gather up and have some worship with whoever's there, okay? So swing by if you want to next Saturday morning, so you can see the space and get excited about it that way, all right? So we're in this series called, you ask for it, right? You know how it works, we ask questions, and boy, some doozies have come in, we just kind of humbly go to the Word of God and say, you know what, what can we say about this, and um, You know, I love the premise because it just reminds us that not not only is it okay to ask even hard questions, it's just important to recognize that, you know, Christianity, uh, it it can entertain tough questions. You know, I think sometimes people get the impression that once you're a Christian, you're just supposed to shut up and believe, you know, don't ask any hard questions. Or people will get afraid of hard questions, like if you ask it, it's going to poke a hole in something, it's going to deflate and the whole thing will fall apart. It's like, not true, even if we don't know exactly how to answer everything, it's okay to ask any question, and we have those questions. So that's what I love about it. In fact, we're trying, to, we're trying to do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 when he says, let's take captive every thought. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So I just want to invite you, you know, to have that posture of, of, of taking captive every thought. You know, we all got Thoughts. ...about so many things, right? If I asked you about, hey, what do you think about the Patriots? Uh, what do you think about Kanye West? Every, you might have an opinion or not. We love to have thoughts and we love to spew thoughts. But um, what we're asked to do in Scripture is to submit those thoughts and to bring them captive uh, to Christ. So we want to try to do that humbly today. And uh, we've talked about a lot of cool things, weed and suffering last week. Uh, this week, we have a special guest with us. I'm excited about this. Um, he was on our staff for a long time, and we got to serve together over the years. And uh, three years ago, he left to be the lead pastor at First Christian Church in Johnson City, Tennessee, an amazing church down there. Guess who's back in the house? If, you know, if you've been around Mountain, you know him and love him already. If you don't, you're, gonna, you're in for a treat. Welcome our friend Ethan Magnus with us today. There's Ethan. Ethan. Hey All right, buddy. Hey, One of the me. finest Bible teachers anywhere you'll ever meet and our dear friend, we're glad you're here. Welcome back. back. How Absolutely. is the family?
0: The family is great, Miss Marilyn, but we're doing well. God's been good to us in Tennessee. I think we got a picture here somewhere. There they are. Yeah um so and your wife
1: and your mini me's yeah
0: yeah we there is some family resemblance yeah um so betsy's leading and serving the kids are thriving and god's been super good to us so yeah
1: that's great um you you may not know uh i was able to be at first christian just a couple weeks ago was able to preach there Man, I wish you guys could all have been there just to see it and experience what great work Ethan and Betsy are doing in that place. And when you're praying, you know, for the church, pray for First Christian and what they're doing there. We love what you're doing. We're kind of... Really part of the same deal, just in different locations. Yeah, well,
0: we obviously feel the same about you all. We love Mountain and still feel like it's our church. Betsy and I and the boys pray for you all regularly. We keep up with the news. We're excited about Aberdeen and just so grateful for all that God's doing here and the good work that's happening here. We feel like we're part of it somehow, so it's it's awesome.
1: So it's fun to have you back. One of the reasons Ethan came back is we had a big celebration this weekend, celebrating our 10 year anniversary for our semester in ministry program, which Ethan was real instrumental in getting off the ground. Yeah. So, semester ministries where we bring in interns who just learn so much about life and then we send them out, and uh, we celebrated that this weekend. It was a yeah. great time, and what a great uh, time to celebrate what God's been doing for 10 years here. Yeah,
0: 85 interns. They had a map up on the wall where they're serving all over the country in four countries outside the U.S. Uh, and it, it's just what it's what Mountain does. It's yeah. who Mountain is. Uh, you are a teaching hospital, and I, you just need to know the contribution you're making to God's global church by pouring into people and sending them out. Which, I think, like is part of what you all did for me, but also especially. Uh, for these interns. It's yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah. Every disciple is called to reproduce ourselves somehow and pour into others. And so the internship program is just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we've only got three hours blocked out for the sermon, so yeah. we need to get Good. started. Okay. Um, Let's jump in then, yeah. Yeah, get started right away. And uh, we have some big questions. Like here's one, for example, uh, that mm-hmm. came from Greg. Oh, well, Greg's got a question. Greg's got a Great. question. Yeah. Which is smarter, dogs or cats?
0: Mm. I think, I think you actually might be like well-equipped equip for this one. Yeah, I, feel I like think I, that's I've like got so, that. In yeah.
1: fact, I, d- I didn't want to be biased, so I did some independent research, which I captured on video, and I can answer the question in 10 seconds. Watch the screen. Okay? So here we go. Dog, cheese, catch. Cat, cheese. <laughs> Cat, cheese. Okay, so... All right, I mean, yeah. It's really pretty conclusive, need, yeah. Do we need any kind of more? I'm yeah. going to go ahead and mark that one as answered. Yeah, good. Well, we're making great times. We're so We might get out early. Keep moving. So. All right, so actually we do have a whole bunch of other questions. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll probably get emails about that. Yeah, probably. Um, mm-hmm. Cruelty to animals, like, yeah. no, he's just stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, we did have a question like this. Okay. Um, why the Bible? Like, what's the big deal about the Bible? Mm. Like um, Christians, there's lots of old books out there, you know, Egyptian or Akkadian, you know, whatever. We don't pay attention to those. Why the Bible? How do we know we can trust it? Where it come from and you know, just almost all uh, skepticism or uh, wondering about the Bible. Ethan, this yeah. is a great question for you. What well, can you say?
0: I love that question. I, I love the assumptions behind that question. We ought to be skeptical. Don't believe every book you read. Don't believe everything you see on the internet. We ought to ask, why should I believe? There's a burden yeah. of proof there, isn't there? And there should be. Um, I, got, I got about 500 reasons that you should trust the Bible, but I don't have time for that. I just want to do kind of three that I think are really significant and that are unique about the Bible when you compare it to other books especially other religious texts uh, the first one is the bible has a unique origin story the the authorship process of scripture it's, it's just different than like how author- it came
1: into being exactly yeah how it was okay. written
0: and who wrote it and how all that happened it's just different with other re- religious texts like we may be we're talking about the quran or the book of mormon or things like that um the process of creation of these texts was private Uh, kind of written, um, you know, one guy in a room or in a cave. I go in a cave and I have this thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the author, the authority, therefore, is personal. That means you just got to take one person's word for it. And if they're not telling the truth, well, then what are you going to do? Which means verification is impossible. There's no way to test it or analyze whether the, the claims of the text are true. And then to top it all off, you got this one guy who says, take my word for it. And there's no way to test my words. And then the authors of these religious texts profited from it. They got rich from convincing other people to believe the book they wrote. That maybe they got money, or they got power, or they got women, or they got all three, uh, but th- that's what happened. The Bible is different in every way. Mm-hmm. The authorship of the Bible was public. Uh, it was written by regular people who were members of local churches by a process we can analyze the authority of these texts isn't just rest in the person, but in the church that bore witness to it's the It's not church. one
1: person saying, you've got to take my word for it. No, it's the church okay. saying, yeah, this yeah. is
0: what happened. That's an accurate reflection of what happened among us. We saw it. Um, the, that means verification is possible, and it means, and especially you need to know that no one profited from writing these books. In fact, the people who wrote yeah. the New Testament, they were most of them persecuted and killed for their faith. They certainly didn't get rich or get power or anything else. Um, now, because the bible is many books it's not just one book i I, I could have to talk about the writing of each one would take too much time but i'll give you two examples uh look at the gospel of luke luke in the beginning of his gospel says this many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been filled among us he knew he wasn't the only gospel he knew others had been written just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word with this in mind since i myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning i too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus so that you would know the certainty of the things you have been taught notice what luke reveals here he reveals a public process of analyzing and reading other accounts of jesus life researching and interviewing eyewitnesses who were there in jesus life and then going back to investigate the stories that were told about jesus life this isn't some guy in a cave who has a vision and we just have to take their word for it this is a public verifiable process and in fact we don't just take luke's word for it we believe it because the community around luke said yep that's the way it happened we've heard it that way from other eyewitnesses or we ourselves our eyewitnesses. Uh, Another example of this same principle would be in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And I know you heard a little bit earlier about the Welcome to Mountain class. If you haven't been, go to Welcome to Mountain. Uh, We read this verse in there, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6. Paul is talking about the resurrection. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. He was raised. I mean, he was buried. He was raised. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. But look what he says in verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Paul is like, listen, I know this resurrection claim is a big claim. It's hard to believe that a guy truly died and truly rose from the dead. But I'm not asking you to just take my word for it. Just don't believe it because I wrote it. There are 500 witnesses. The implication being, hey, if you don't believe me, Go interview the witnesses for yourself. Go back and check it out. This is completely unique. No other
1: religious text can even say anything. tries of to things. do that. No, okay.
0: they don't even attempt to it. They all just say, "We've got a founder of our religion who wrote a bunch of books. Believe them." Christianity says, "No, this was a, these were public events." Public that had been remembered by the yeah. community not just by one person but and by community and you can verify it and you can go back and test
1: it and in fact many did. And okay. many did okay that's huge okay. what else
0: yeah okay so number 1 written a totally different way number 2 the bible has a unique transmission tradition and we're here we're talking about not how was the bible written but how did it get to us?
1: From there to what From we the, have in our hands God, today, even. Because yeah.
0: we don't yeah. have the original document. Most of us don't read the original languages. How did that original document make it all the way to us? Okay, so in the ancient world, the way documents were transmitted was through copying. This is true of Scripture, too. Colossians 4.16, Paul says, After this letter has been read to you, see also that it's read to the church in Laodicea. Make a copy and share it with them. And that's the way all ancient documents were shared. They didn't have, like, publishing right. committees or anything like that. So, when we're analyzing the accuracy of our current ancient text, trying to get back to that original text, we got three questions. Do we have good copies? Mm-hmm. Do we have old copies? Because older is better, because it's closer to closer the Closer to when it actually happened. Less time to yep. introduce mistakes and changes. Good copies, old copies. And do we have enough copies? Because you want to be able to compare. More is better. Yeah. Comparing these different copies allows us, you know, right. if they missed, if they left out a word, you know, you've done that when you're copying. All of you
1: have word. is one. It's like, oh, I got it. But if I got two or three or four copies of the same thing, I can see. Which I can compare I quickly tell. and determine
0: yeah. what the original language was. Okay. okay so good copies, yeah. old oh, copies, copies, enough, enough copies. copies. All right. Typically, for the, if you take some ancient history class and they're talking about some ancient document, Plutarch's Lives, Caesar's Gallic Wars, it's pretty normal for us to have nine to twelve ancient copies of these books and it's pretty normal for the gap between their composition and the oldest copies we have to be like in the six to nine hundred year range so we got a six or nine hundred year gap between what they wrote and what we've got and we might have ten copies something like that the best attested work in kind of the greek and roman writing is a, a book called the iliad it's a poem by a guy named homer it's where the story of the trojan war is from this book okay uh, for that one, we got 650 ancient copies, and the oldest of them is after a 400-year gap. So they got
1: 650 copies, and there's 400 years between when it happened or when and when it was written, and our oldest copy. And scholars are like, "That's amazing! Oh, it's That's huge! Totally it, enough yeah. to know we've they got the right thing." They don't even worry text. about
0: the ones where we have 12 copies, 650 copies. That's crazy. Okay. Like, they know so we know we we've Elliot. got the right we know thing. We've got the Iliad exactly. Okay. Nobody's worrying about that. Okay, so what about the Bible? All right, we just got to be clear. This is the deal. How does the Bible compare to 650 documents, 400 year gap? For the New Testament, we have 25,000 ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. Not always the whole thing, some are partial, some are not, some are complete, just like with these other books. 25,000. We're not even in the same ballpark. And the gap between when they were written and what we've got access to is, for most books, around 100 years. And for some books, less than 50. It's a completely... From the archaeological perspective, our certainty that what we have today is what was written, is it just completely and utterly dwarfs Every other what we have in our hand is what
1: world. was written, and what was written is verifiable, as what because happened because
0: it was a public process verified by the community in the moment. So there you go. The, the, the kind of the, the scriptural foundations, it's completely different from every other book, and so the, the kind of the myth we have that like it plopped out of the air. Well, people
1: you know, say, how do we know? I don't know? It seems like a really old book. Somebody yeah. probably messed with it or something. Yeah. It's like actually we know exactly. We know
0: tons about this historical yeah. process. All right, let me do one more thing because I know we got people already got other questions about cats that we got to get to. Yeah. Um, but one more thing about why the Bible, why trust the Bible. So uniquely, unique origin story, unique transmission tradition, it has a unique usefulness. Mm. The Bible has a unique usefulness. And and, um, there's this great verse uh, from Paul where this is one of the places where the the Scripture talks about itself, you know. And Paul makes two claims in this letter to Timothy. Here's what he says. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul makes two claims here, both of which are really significant. The first one kind of, we can kind of tell it's significant because you've got this big word, all scripture is God breathed. And that just seems important from the beginning, and it is important. Uh, it's a reference to the creation story um, where Adam, God, you know, formed dust into the shape of a man and then breathed life into it. And the breath was what made us alive. And, and, and Paul's just saying, yeah, the same is true of Scripture. It's normal old words on normal old paper written by normal old people through a historical process that we can verify... And God has breathed spiritual life into this text. This text is alive with God's Spirit. When we say the Bible is inspired, that we're talking about this inspiration right of Scripture. Here. comes, comes right, of scripture. right there.
1: In fact, some translations say all Scripture is inspired, Inspire, but it means it comes from God and it's alive with God's life by God. presence yeah, yeah. and Spirit.
0: Okay. And as awesome as that claim is, it's not what I think. Is you the think cool. the more
1: important word is over here?
0: Is, is this second claim? All Scripture is useful and i know at first it feels a little mundane right like it's god breathed and it's useful but but no but get this this is the one that really matters see this is the one that distinguishes the bible from sort of like a a holy relic or a a spiritual talisman or a a, a christian rabbit's foot or something like that the bible on the contrary is a tool of god to shape us and lead us and guide us so you know, I just would want to challenge the Bible isn't just meant to be cherished, although I do in my own life cherish God's word, but that's not really its function. It's meant to be used, yeah. to be put into practice.
1: It's meant to be used. In the end of the day, it doesn't matter if we believe we've got the right Bible or it's verifiable yeah. and all of that if we don't read it. Yeah. Right? If we don't read it. So, Absolutely. you know, we could summarize by just saying this alive, powerful, beautiful message from God is something that we're meant to, you could say it this way. It's important for believers to, to get into the word so that the word can get into you. Because that's where the alive part makes a difference right. in, our, in our actual lives. Yeah. And so, you know, however that needs to happen, get into the word. And maybe there's some Christians who are kind of convicted by what I'm saying. You know, you haven't been getting some Bible intake lately. So find a way to do that. And maybe you're a skeptic and you're just checking out all all things
0: Christianity. Great. Great way, Ethan, dared you. You're yeah, going to find yeah. the Bibles alive if you start messing That's the best thing about this, is if you're a skeptic, well, yeah, obviously, don't take my word for it. The last thing I'd want you to do is just say, oh, good, now I believe something new about the Bible's usefulness. No, don't believe it. Doubt it. Like, totally don't believe if it. If it's useful, it'll work. Because, yeah, if it's useful, it'll work. We won't have to prove it to you. Yeah. You'll go read it and find that God uses it in your life to shape you and teach you and Rebecca.
1: Yeah, so, so any way I can encourage you yeah. to think about your life and your rhythms and get into the Word somehow so the Word can get into you. If you have one of these, um, you should have the Bible app downloaded on it. App
0: Store, B-I-B-L-E. Just search for it. Grab the Bible. Super easy absolutely. and
1: it's filled with reading plans and, you know, it'll send you a verse a day or whatever you want to do. You can listen to the Bible. A lot of people don't like reading. So, listen, while, while, you, know, you can listen to the whole Gospel of Mark in like two hours. That's like a couple trips to the gym or, you know, a supermarket or a commute for a couple of you. So, so, there you go. Find a way to, to get in. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to have one, we'll give you one today. It won't be as cool as this Viking Bible, but um
0: yeah grab a bible if you're wondering people always used to ask me ethan what's the best translation it's the one you'll read Like, that's it. That's how you know. That one's way better. There's so many good translations. Yeah, Yeah. that that one is way better than all the rest. So go get the one you'll read. Grab one on the way out. Read Totally. Any campus,
1: we've got them available for you, okay? Take as many as you'll use. And those are things you can do on your own. We also help each other with these things, right? So if you've heard about the Rooted Experience, we'd encourage you to sign up for that. Be part of the next one that comes around. We talk about the Bible a lot there. And also we have these things called Life Groups. Uh, they're happening right now. This week, we're talking about the Bible, um, and you can walk in and be a part of that. Go to the website at any campus. You'll figure out when the groups are that meet. So it's important. Let, get into the Word so the Word can get into you. It's, that's where the living active part, because the second thing that goes with that, is just to summarize this, would be to remember that we never want to be the people that somehow believe that the goal is somehow to learn Bible information, as if that were the whole point. It's not that. It's to not only just learn Bible information, but to experience life transformation, right? To get the living, active God of the Word. You know, God reveals Himself to us through Jesus. He's the living Word. And then the Bible is the written Word. And through it, we can, we can have a real encounter that will change our lives. Like who we are and what, what we do. And that will happen as we get past just like thinking it's about memorizing something. Or it's better to have one verse that changes you somehow in your life than memorize a hundred that never really gets into your, your heart and soul. Yeah, okay? absolutely. So great stuff. Thank you so much for helping us yeah. and walking through that, Ethan. Let's, let's jump in and try to tackle uh, another massive uh, issue with which comes a bunch of questions, and we can't possibly say everything that could and probably should be said, but we got some questions around, one came and said, I'm a Christian, how should I treat um, people who are gay? Uh, Or is Christianity anti-gay? Or, you know, I'm I have same-sex attraction, does God disapprove of me? Questions like these and lots of them that go with it about gay weddings and handling people that have come out to you and so forth. Um, And so there's, I can feel the tension just rise even talking about it because there's so much, uh, this touches every one of us in different ways and boy, public opinion is shifting rapidly and even radically on this. I, I think it's important to acknowledge that not all Christians are of one mind on these kinds of questions. It's important to acknowledge that um, and as eager in that environment as someone is to say, well, what's your position on the issue or the issues? Uh, I I think it's important to to have clarity about your position on the issues, but what I want to encourage us to see today is that it's even more important not just to have a position on the issue, but it's about our posture toward the people. That's right. It's a big difference, and they're both important. But I think the pasha, because we're talking about not an issue here. We're talking about people, and it's not them we're talking us. about. It's us. This is us, right? Us, yeah. Every single person here is either same sex attracted or you know and love someone who is, yeah. and and so this is an us issue. And and so I, over the last couple of years, I've had the benefit of um, being in some space with some people that I, so I can now say these. I have many gay friends. And as I've listened to their story, I've learned a lot. And one of the things I've learned is, um, and, and this, is, this is sort of a generalization, so I, I want to be cautious, but I also want to say, it, it's a, I've, I've become more sensitized to how much pain there is. in just everybody, you know, every person you meet is carrying a burden. But particularly people from the LGBTQ community or gay people or those of same-sex attraction, however you might identify that group, Um, there's a lot of pain and often and again at the risk of sort of lumping everyone's story into the same story which would be a horrible thing to do I can tell you that um, what many of you already know and that is uh, after hearing so many stories it's amazing how many common themes there really are Um, so for example um, many people will say things like this. You know, I grew up as a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church and, you know, I prayed to God and did camp and all these sorts of things. But somewhere along the line, maybe in adolescence or somewhere, I began to notice that I was different or felt like there was something different about me. And as that played itself out, I began to realize I wasn't attracted to the opposite sex the same way others around me seemed to be. And um, as that moved along in time, it didn't really change. In fact, it kind of intensified. I tried to, fa- most of will say things, I, I just went along, I even dated people the opposite sex, I tried to hide it, um, I, was, I was embarrassed by it. In fact, eventually some will say I, I prayed to God, you know, to take it away, to change it. Um, I tried lots of different things, counselors and this, but mostly will, people will talk about how it led in many cases to a kind of deep conflict and deep sh- even shame and a f- spiritual crisis very often. You know, God, take this away. Um, why won't you take it away or, or change me or something like that? And then what, what I think has been particularly hard to hear is a couple things. One is how often this has led to deep depression. In many cases, you know, contemplating suicide. And there are, there are kids especially that are killing themselves because of this. And one of the troubling things about it for me is not just to be reminded that everyone's got pain but but also how much sometimes the church is part of the reason for that difficulty and that pain um you know someone will say you know I knew what my church thought I knew what my parents thought and I and I just couldn't bear to even tell them and and so that kind of exacerbated everything and some people will even say things like you know I I was pretty sure God might find a way to still stay with me but I was I was pretty sure my church couldn't and that fear of that lifelong rejection actually becomes one of the really hard things. And so here we are today when, you know, on surveys, when people are asked about Christianity, their number one assumption is that Christians hate gays. And, and so if churches, any church or any Christians, are, are unsafe places of, you know, uncaring, uh, hostile, angry, homophobic kinds of places, then we're going to be raising a generation of the most angry, hostile people toward Christianity that the world's ever seen because they'll believe that they've got to choose between being a kind, nice person and a Christian because they don't think the two can even go together. And you see how wrong that is. So this is a big deal. This issue has almost single-handedly created a huge credibility problem for Christianity today. There are so many people I can tell you who've walked away from Jesus because of the people who purport to represent him have I've um, treated them, not necessarily what they believe, but, but the way that they've been made to feel by them. You see the difference? That's about posture, y'all. That's really, really big. And, and so um, this isn't just an issue for the mission of the church, which I deeply care about, the reputation of Christianity, so we can do what we're called to do, but it's also just deeply personal. I know that there are so many here, there are teenagers kind of wrestling with your identity and questions around this. I know that some will tell me, I feel torn between my family and my faith. Some will say things like, you know, I'm grappling with what the Bible really says about all this, and I wonder, you know, if you're same-sex attracted, will I find a place here at a place like Mount or once people find out, will I be shunned, rejected, and ridiculed, and mocked, or whatever, and that's, if that's, that's too painful, I don't want to consider that. I can tell you there's so many questions that come with this, and um, just acknowledge there's too much to talk about in this one setting, but... Sometimes when we get overwhelmed like that, the first thing we can do is talk about some things that we do know. And there are some things we know with absolute certainty. So let's kind so of talk are. about those things yeah. that we do know that will help us frame up and talk about this issue. Okay, What do we yeah. know for so, sure?
0: I'll tell you, the one that helps me when I'm kind of trying to rebuild a foundation of what I know is we know the heart of God. We know the heart of God. We don't have to act like we've forgotten the heart of God. God loves Everyone, God is like, God is so for all people. Maybe if you don't know this verse, it's a verse worth knowing. John 3, 16, uh, God so loved the world, not just theoretically, not just as the idea, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the heart of God. And I love John 3, 17. It says, God did not send his son to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus showed up. But rather, so the world might be saved through him, and and so that's kind of for me the answer place. That's where it starts. starts. That's where it starts. And and maybe one thing you know, you, you and I have talked about this before. Um, some of you have heard otherwise, like you've heard that God didn't love you, and and so when I say God loves everyone, maybe you're ready to you could, you could believe me if I said you know turn to your neighbor, God loves them. You believe that, but now but if I, but what I want to tell you is. Kind of turn inward, look at yourself, yeah. look at your own hands and your own feet and your own body. God loves you. God loves you, no matter kind of what you heard or what you were told or who yeah. said otherwise. So important. God loves you, and that's where yeah. it starts. It's, it's the, the starting place. God. Yeah. And, and,
1: I, and I, I think you're right, Ethan. I know there's somebody listening to us right now, straight, gay, whatever, who has maybe had defenses about that, who just you need to let that truth just seep into you today. Yeah. that God loves you, He loves you. cherishes. You're as his prized possession, and he wants a relationship with you. So that's where we begin, okay? And that really kind of sets the stage for your approach to this.
0: If that's true, then what do we know about God's people? Well, God's people then are called to love. We know we are called to love. Jesus was once asked what they thought was a trick question. What's the greatest commandment? And he was like, that's not a trick question at all. So glad you asked, because I actually know the answer to that question, uh, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is just saying, okay, if our God loves all people, then we who stand up and say, yeah, I'm one of God's people. I'm on God's team. I'm on God's side. Well, then we yeah. are supposed to love all people. Yeah. Uh, and, and we just can Love your neighbor else. as
1: yourself might be the most important verse on this subject. Okay, First uh, John 4, 7, 8 says, very similar, It just says, love one another, for love comes from God. If someone says, whoever does not love, doesn't even know God, yeah. because God is love. So God is love, we're called to love, yeah. that really frames up so much of this discussion and the sort of, what do I do in this
0: particular instance? Um, so. So, so the person who says, I'm right on this topic, I'm just not very nice about it. Yeah, then they're not right. Because yeah. Yeah. love precedes anything else we've got to say. Yeah. Love is the first thing, and it's the final thing of what we have to say. Yeah. So important. So, okay, so if God is love. We're called to
1: love. What do we know then for sure about the, the people and the world that we're sent into love? Yeah. We know this. Everyone is broken. Okay? Everyone is broken. Like, we all know that. We see it. We experience it in our own lives, and we see it clearly in, in the pages of Scripture Confirm that there is like this pervasive disease uh, and none of us is exempt from it. Yeah. I think it's Romans. When
0: we, yeah, but when we say everyone is broken, one of the three things important spiritually is to remember that when you think of that group, everyone is broken. The first person God wants you to think about is yourself. I'm broken. You know, I, I've been telling people for years, after Ben, I'm the most sinful person I know. I mean, so I am the second most sinful person I know, is what I tell people. And, and, and Romans 3, we wish this wasn't true, right? We wish we could just talk about the love, but Romans says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, which means that God has a good for our lives. God has a glory for which we were created that we've fallen short of and missed out of, and the whole salvation project is God restoring us to the glory for which we were made, but this side of that work we're broken, and we fall short of that, and, and the first, I just, you got to, if you're not the worst sinner, you know you aren't paying attention to yourself very well. Yeah. And before you go about talking about somebody else's brokenness, man, you got to dial into your you own identify
1: junk. yourself as part of this broken world. Yeah, absolutely. So important. The, the old phrase is what? Love the sinner, hate the sin. You've probably heard that phrase. Love the sinner, hate the sin. I think Jesus might say something like this. Love the sinner, hate your own sin. That's right. And, and, and that puts us in a place where we're going to have probably a better perspective on this. One of the tricky things about this, in fact, Romans 3.23 3 23 kind of summarizes it. just says, you know what? Paints a blanket over all of us and says, everyone, all have sinned and yep. fall short of the glory of God. Now, we know that sometimes instinctively. You can look at something, you see it's bad, you can see it's yep. evil. The tricky part about sin is that it, it kind of breaks and mars and messes and warps everything. Yep. So that even things that we might decide are really good things are sometimes not good things. So it it warps our judgment. You know, in fact, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to humans that isn't always right. There's an old song that used to say, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. It's like, well, guess what? Yeah, it can. Um, Because sin is like that. It's like a... That
0: was a a popular song when you were a kid, right?
1: Yes, Ethan. Yeah, that
0: was on the oldie station when I was a kid. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, we had radio just was invented when I was a little boy. So... Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how sin is like a magnet, if you will, that kind of like, if, if we have this moral compass that's in us that's good and true and right, but then the magnet of sin comes and it kind of messes with it. Yeah. And we all know what this is like, right? Where your judgment about something, so guess what? It, it, the only way to sort of get that back where it needs to be is through, through Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life, the true north. So what we're saying here is that this sin thing starts with us, but it's everyone and it includes our sexuality. So sexuality is a beautiful gift and an aspect of who we are, and yet it's also part of what's broken about you. And I don't care who you are, you don't get to say, well, my sexuality is not broken, because it is. It's, 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 it's also, it's less than the full beauty of what God intends. Yeah. And so if we, if we take all that then together, God is love, we're called to love, and the world we're called to love is a broken world. What that implies for us then is it means that, you know, we don't say, okay, so once you get yourself fixed and cleaned up, then you can come to God, come to this church or whatever. It's like, no, you, you come to God and to this church precisely because you recognize I am one of those broken people and then God, you place yourself in God's hands So this place would become more of a hospital for the sick and broken than it would be a sort of collection of people who sort of fix themselves and are all Absolutely. pretty good people already. So... To be clear, everyone's welcome. Amen. All are welcome. Yeah. So a gay person would find Jesus saying, I love you, I welcome you, and, and uh, uh, that's, that's the starting point. Everyone's welcome. And someone would say, well, everyone, it's like, well, Jesus, Jesus spent a lot of time with people that other people thought he shouldn't spend time with. He ate with them, he hung out with them, and he validated their stories enough to bring them into relationship with himself. And that's what we want to yeah, do too. Absolutely. So when you take all that, God's love, we're called to love, the world's broken. And you put it together, you know, there's some real strong implication out of that about how we treat other people as
0: well, isn't it? I think, you know, one of the things, just kind of crazy practical here, that we know, as we're talking, what do we know? We know that God is grieved whenever anyone is mistreated. Anyone? God is heartbroken, and it does not represent the will of God when anyone is mistreated. Which means on the one hand that there is some stuff the church has to apologize for because the church has mistreated uh, the LGBT community in many different ways uh, throughout our history. So there's some apology to be given. But more than that, I want to go beyond just saying, okay, we're sorry for bad stuff we did. I actually think there's a role for the church to play in speaking out now against the homophobia and the jokes and the mocking and the teasing that is still a part of our culture today. You know, um, I've, I've got some friends who are part of the trans community and some have transitioned and some haven't who are regularly mocked. It's not of funny their identity.
1: To, to them, is it? Yeah,
0: no. I mean, somebody else's gender identity is not your punchline. Okay? That's not the punchline for your joke. And if the church needs to stand up and defend people because the heart of God is grieved when people are mistreated and bullied. We've got some young people out here. I'll just say, I would love to know that the Christians are the ones who in their schools are standing up and saying, yeah... Oh, you know, gay is not a joke. Gay is not an insult. Gay, that's not a, a punchline. And we're going to stand against that because our God loves all people. And that love in action means that we protect those who are being persecuted and bullied and whatever else. Um, I just think we could make a difference in this way and they would see the truth about our God if we did this.
1: Yeah, so so helpful and important. One practical thing that comes to mind is the quote from Billy Graham. He often said, um, uh, it's God's job to judge and the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and my job, our job, is to love. And, yeah. and do your job, right? Do, do your job, and sometimes that means sticking up for, and protecting, and loving yeah. people, whoever they might be, of a different skin color, or a different, you know, whenever you see someone on the news who's mistreated, that's something we know grieves the heart of God. And so we, we have to care about some of those things, okay? Yeah. So, so what else do we know then? When you take all this together and keep kind of pressing it down, I think we also know... That then, if God is love and we're called to love to a broken world, then we know that we're called to speak and to live um, the, the truth of God in love. In fact, the scripture uses that very phrase, speak the truth in love. And we're called to do that, which raises the question then well, what is the truth? How do we find the truth? And it ties so beautifully with what we talked about a minute ago about the Bible, right? Because God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ and through lots of ways before that. And now we have the scriptures. And so we have to decide, every believer needs to decide, how are you going to approach the Bible? And what God is asking us to do is to come under the Bible, not over it. As you approach the Bible, we all do one or the other. Coming over it means I'm going to say, well, I, I like this part, but not that part. Or I'm going to say, I have an opinion about this, and if the Bible doesn't agree with my opinion, then I'm over the Bible, and I just put that part of the Bible away. But when I come under the Bible, I'm coming in submission to it, and it's so freeing in a way because now I'm no longer a slave to whatever public opinion is going on right now, I'm no longer a slave to what I th- my what my feelings are. I, I can instead, as we said, if there's a captivity, it's I'm bringing every thought captive by my own choice, and I'm bringing it to Jesus, and I'm saying I, I want to trust God that you you are loving, and that your word then is good for me, and is. Meant for my best interest, and this is true in every area of my life. And so, a Christian is one who is called to come under God's authority through Scripture and to come and to say, I trust you, I'm going to take my whole life, I'm not going to leave my pocketbook or my relationships or my sexuality or my attitude and sort of set it off to the side, all of it comes under you, Jesus, and you are really, I trust you because you love me, and I believe that, and so that's the posture about this whole deal about speaking the truth in love, and so then as we come to this matter uh, you know, of, uh, at hand here, what, is, what does God say about homosexuality and gay marriage and so forth, the Bible, as we open the first pages, what you find there is, is in the very earliest passages in the book of Genesis and so forth, that God's design for the fullest and most beautiful intention of sexual expression is ultimately between a man and a woman in the safety and the commitment of marriage between a man and a woman. And this is the sort of classic position that is echoed through Scripture and then affirmed by Jesus, and endorsed by Jesus, and assumed by Jesus, and he, if you look at places like Matthew 19, he didn't undo it, he upheld that particular perspective, and while not everyone agrees with that posture, obviously, um, it is the traditional, accepted, orthodox Christian position for 2,000 years, it's, and Mountain accepts that position with the sense that we are willing to trust God even if with any parts of the Bible, that we, even the parts that seem really hard uh, uh, to understand. And so there it is, and you could call that perspective the boundaries of, of chastity. And this is a sort of sexual standard then, like there's a beautiful standard that's given to us in the Bible, and the second you realize it's beautiful, sometimes it kind of immediately goes away a little bit because you realize, you know what, every single one of us falls short of that standard. Because the beautiful picture of chastity means that any straight sexual activity that's less than that perfect way that the Bible describes is outside of what the biblical ethic is. Any uh, gay activity, any any kind of activity outside of that is, is less. So you see these passages that uphold things, like so Hebrews 13 talks about honoring marriage and guarding the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband and how God draws a firm line against casual, illicit sex, you know... That, that, no one's really ultimately thrilled with that text because it reminds us that while it's true we can't find in the Bible any verse that, that where God blesses sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, man, it quickly reminds us that none of us are off the hook in this sort of high standard that God really invites us to. Like there's a super high standard and none of us make up to it, live up to it. So in fact, I love passages like First Corinthians 6 because it reminds us how we're all looped into this together. Okay, um, like 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 9 and 10. Um, see if you can find yourself in this list, all right? Just see if you might be there, all right? It starts out by, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Anybody ever been a wrong? Anyone ever done anything wrong other than Ethan? Yeah. And, and then it lists even some examples of that. Sexually immoral, which includes, again, all of us in our brokenness. Idolaters, anyone who's put something above God, if you look to God for your strength or your comfort or your hope instead of God, of course, you know, that's all of us. Adulterers, Jesus raises the bar on adultery. It's not just someone who sleeps with another one's spouse. It's like he says, if you have a lustful thought enter your mind or heart, you're, you're in the same page. Okay, where we stand guilty and condemned of that. Men who have sex with other men, listed there with thieves and, and, and greedy and drunkards and slanderers and swindlers. Now, yeah, yeah, you look carefully at that list and you realize I'm on that list. Yeah. Everyone's on that list. And, and you notice that the sex thing isn't the main thing on that list. It's listed as one of the ways that people who think they know better than God sometimes make decisions that we like rather than what, what God is promising us is best. And, and so it doesn't mention same-sex attraction. It does list some homosexual behavior there. And all of us are listed there as standing together on level ground underneath the sort of judgment that comes from our own decision to, to outwit God and, and so forth. And so this leads us directly to the last thing we say that we absolutely know right. is that if this is all true. Then y'all, we all just need God's grace. We, you, we, we all need God's grace. Not they do, but we all do. We need God's grace and we need also, we need grace from each other because we'll never make it. None of us stands a chance. Right. And so that's so important. It frames up the whole conversation. So, whether you're LGBTQ or straight or whatever, we all need the healing and the hope for so many parts of our lives that we will never find on our own. There's no them or us, okay? It's all of us. And what I love about this passage is if you go to the very next verse, it talks about a picture of what the church really is meant to look like. Look at the next verse. As it lists all that stuff that lumps all of us in, we're all like, oh man, I'm really broken. Yeah. Here's what it says. And that is what some of you, what's the word? Were. Were. Notice it's past tense. He's talking to people. He says, but now something happened in your life. And you were washed. You were sanctified. It means you're clean and pure and holy again. You were justified. You're made right with God. You're set up as friends with God again. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The implications are so powerful and clear. It says that. If you're part of, you've done some of that stuff on that list, of course you have, but it's not who you are, and it's not the end of your story, and by the power of Christ there's a new version of our lives and our future that's coming, and it's not going to ultimately be here till glory, till heaven, but we can taste it now, we can get washed and sanctified now, and that your identity is as a son or a daughter of God, and what I love is, is this isn't just old Bible stuff, God's still in the transformation business. Amen. He's still transforming, changing lives, taking broken people like me and you, and, and helping us to do and be what we could never be on our own. And so what the church is, is people who dare to courageously trust that God is love, and that His word, however hard it might be to hear, is for us, and, and that He loves us, and we, we choose to surrender our lives, including our sexuality including our desires all of it all of us to god and trust him in that and so you you know there's lots that needs to happen with that and that's a tr- that, that's not the end of the story obviously but so what are you saying Ben are you saying we're going to you know open the doors to you know gay and lesbian people in the church no they're already here we are already here it's not they it's it's us we're here the question is is this the kind of place that's safe for anyone to go on a journey with Jesus Christ and to come into relationship with Him so you can be led wherever He's leading you in life. And I promise you, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, He's not done with you. He's going to be working with Amen. you. And He's going to be growing you forward. And if an LGBTQ person isn't welcome here, who is? That's right. And if an LGBTQ person isn't welcome here, where would they be but welcome, I wonder? You see, so so can we get where we can... Bring all of our brokenness and move beyond that in His grace together as we surrender our lives in whatever stages we're capable of bit by bit. And so I think that means we, we even with people we disagree with on this issue, we hang in there. We say, God hung in there with me. I'm going to hang in there with you. Yeah. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going I'm to, even if I don't see eye to eye, I'm going to say, tell me your story. I, w- I want to understand. And how can I, instead of throwing a Bible verses at each other with people we don't agree with, can we just say, you know, I, I want to hear your story and validate who you are. And instead of debating, you know, can, can we just say, how can I help you get connected to Jesus Christ? Because that ultimately is the only thing yeah. and the main thing that matters because that's the only place any of us find hope and courage and change. Um, so, that's a lot. To, to those would identify as part of the LGBTQ community or you're same-sex attracted. I want to thank you for hanging in there with us. I know even some of the things I've said probably have been hard to hear and you disagreed with them maybe. And I just respect you for being here and we have lots of people in this church that um, are part of this church that, that I've just described to you. I, just, I, I want to just say, uh, one, um, you matter to God. Mm-hmm. Okay? And you matter to this church. And we want to invite you, like everyone else we would say, to trust God and... Um, yeah, to trust him with with everything. And I would say I would invite you to join us if you haven't made that decision already as a church, and you are welcome to do that. As long as you understand there's a little there is one caveat. And that is that you need to know up front that you are joining a bunch of moral foul ups. As long as you understand that. I mean, we got some people around here that have some serious moral failings, okay? In fact, even recently. Like not in the past. Like there are people in this room and listening to me now who've had some heterosexual failures this week, um, who struggle with pride and who have demonstrated things about greed and profanity and alcoholism and tempers and pornography and insensitive remarks and cruelty and lying and stealing. That's just Ethan. So I mean, <laughs> okay. I promise you. to be back, man. I promise you. If you understand that that's the kind of group you're moving into, you're invited with the rest of us. To surrender your life with ours. That's what all of us are called to do, isn't it? Surrender our lives, man. Surrender our lives to Jesus. All of it. Trusting the one who says to us, I love you just the way you are. Now, I think he adds, hey, hey, I think he says, and by the way, I love you too much to leave you that way. I don't care who you are. Jesus gets a hold of you. He does stuff.
0: There's always a journey.
1: There's always a journey and you're invited to the journey with us.
0: Yeah.
1: If that's who you are. I'm gonna gonna invite you to pray with me as we try to close and maybe this has been helpful to think about cling to the things we know as we try to wrestle with some of the hard questions that we don't know. And uh, Romans 12 says, you know what we're all called to do in light of all God's done for us? Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Maybe that's a good verse for us as we go to prayer. Can I invite you to surrender your life completely to the Lord as we do, whoever you are. Let's pray together. God, we we hear this call to surrender, and it's a challenge for us because we want to hold on to so many things. But in this moment, we want to offer our lives to you God, I offer my body to you as a spiritual act of worship. Offer our sexuality to you. Realizing it's not my right or my possession. It's just one more way that we can offer ourselves to you. We surrender our sexuality, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, all of it. And we say, God, help me now to seek my identity, not as straight or gay, but in you. Help me to find my ultimate fulfillment, not in any human relationship. Don't let me set up an idol out of intimacy or marriage or family or anything like that, but to to remind us, God, that we will only find our ultimate fulfillment in you, in your perfect, unfailing, pure and endless love. It's what we are made for, what we long for. We can't wait till heaven, and in the meantime, God, fill us with your love as we surrender and sacrifice for you so you might replenish us with more joy than we would ever give up by just trusting you. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus, our
0: Lord and our Savior, amen.